Hello guys, welcome to the brand new episode of The Film Mangle. My name is Chris. And I'm Alex. And we got a really, really, I apologize for a strange episode today. <laughs> strange? I think you mean unique. I think you mean there is no I'm other podcast. bizarre. There's no other podcast doing it like we are right now, Chris. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. I this think is, we'll... this is a double bill to end all double bills. It is, yeah. I think we should just address the elephant in the room right away. We are both going to review um, a, a big Disney movie that just came out that is, you know, made for kids and kind of a happy experience versus probably the most miserable and the longest film I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> the most miserable. Yeah, yeah so, uh, you know, contrary to uh, our episode a couple of weeks ago where we both said we were pretty much getting fed up of the Disney remakes, we are <laughs> reviewing uh, yeah. The Little Mermaid after both seeing it in cinemas. Um, and then obviously the kind of seven hour epic that we've been teasing for a little while now, uh, the Hungarian film, uh, Satan Tango, because we have been calling it Satan Tango, but we think it's yeah. Tango. There's, there's, there's accents in the A's in that name. And that, that's what made me think it was Satan Tango. But after seeing other people, their essays and their video essays online, it seems to be Satan Tango, which yeah, would make more I've, sense. I would like to pinpoint the week where we kind of realized that that film was um, part of the BFR because I think we have been like talking it up for so many weeks. Like this is like fifteen episodes ago or something. Yeah, like that, you we've know? been we've been like intrigued and dreading it probably <laughs> for for a little while. So it's good that um, to finally tick it off our list. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to like actually getting into it with you. And uh, finding out your thoughts on what is probably the longest film I've ever seen. Actually, I, I say probably. I know it's the longest film yeah. I've ever seen. And perhaps maybe that dread was both like unwarranted and warranted. I think it's still the movie that I was expecting I was going mm. to go see, you know, in terms of like its pacing and everything. We'll get much more into that later on. But yeah, The Little Mermaid kind of like unexpectedly in terms of like Disney remakes and how unpopular they've been. In yeah. the last couple of years, um, a massive hit, the biggest movie in the world at the minute, um, seems to be yeah. sma- smashed its domestic box office in, in, in the United States on its first weekend, I think like $112 million in the first weekend, which is pretty insane for a movie like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's, there's not much else to watch right now. Uh, that being said, we're <laughs> yeah. recording this before um, Across the Spot. Across the Spider-Verse. Across the Spider-Verse releases. Uh, so that'll probably be next week's episode. Um, yeah, it definitely will be. <laughs> and it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Um, and then there's then there's a bunch of stuff coming out in June. So the Little Mermaid's got the head start, really, on our on the on the kind of main summer month of big blockbuster films. Be interesting to see if if it dips a little bit when Spider-Man comes out, and then subsequently the Flash. Not sure how well yeah. the Flash is going to do, despite the kind of heaps of praise it's getting right now. Um, but yeah, I did read today though that the Little Mermaid is performing uh, weaker than they thought in the international market and okay. in the domestic U.S. market um, is where it's probably going to recoup most of its money. Mm-hmm. That makes sense <laughs> for reasons that we might probably want to navigate around, um, <laughs> especially you know in the Asian market these types of movies and, and also the 
the sort of the undertone, the political undertones that are like thrusted upon this movie, not created by the movie, I must say, no. um, really impact its international box office for sure. But that's something that was kind of predictable. Yeah, the the, the big obviously, um, I, I struggle to say controversy because it it really isn't. And when you watch the film, there's nothing controversial about but, this um, film. No, you know uh, the casting of Ariel uh, Halle Bailey is an African American actress. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, in the animated film, um, it's played by an animated mermaid. Uh, so, the, <laughs> uh, yeah. so you know, uh, the some people are, are kind of delusional as to as to why she's I mean, no longer, I think, a, no I, longer I think, animated. I think that's it's almost like a fault. I don't know who coined the phrase remake. You know, because that is such a charged word, and that comes mm. with expectation. Whenever you say the word remake, well, then you're expecting a a like for like live action copy of the original and then yeah. as opposed to we should really be calling these things adaptations if we're going to be you know a bit more fair to these things and i think and that's it i mean it's you know little mermaid is, a, is an age-old tale by hans christian anderson that existed you know a hundred odd years before the little mermaid ever was created conjured up by disney you know why are we so yeah. fixated on something like this um yeah. So yeah, it's it's it definitely it amuses me why people are completely flummoxed by casting choices or that you know fair enough let's do something different I'm I'm, I'm interested by that and yeah. um and all those people I think are proved wrong if I'm gonna say anything positive about this movie is that the performances aren't aren't wrong here I think the performances in general are pretty pretty good I think uh, Halle Bailey is really like radiant in the role. I think mm. she really embodies the naive, um, wide-eyed princess that is, you know, that retro nostalgia that we have for those sort of older Disney movies. I think she is a really good modern embodiment of that. Yeah, um, I, I also what I got when I was watching it um, was it did feel like we were watching two stars being born essentially. Like, uh, I, I believe that your main two roles here, Ariel with Halle Bailey and, and Scuttle. Um, yeah. Prince Eric, no, not Scuttle, <laughs> uh, Prince, <laughs> Prince Eric as, uh, who's played by Jonah Howard King. Um, I've, I've never heard of Jonah Howard King before. Obviously we Same. heard all about Halle Bailey. Um, I hadn't seen her in anything. One of her, one of her first acting roles, I think. Here, I think she is more known as a musician than a mm. than an actress. Uh, though I've seen some trailers. There's some future stuff coming with her. But um, honestly, I, I thought that both of them were really, really good in these roles. And uh, and I did think like, oh, I think we're watching some future stars being born here. Um, to get into the plot, just briefly for anybody who didn't grow up with Disney films, or you know, maybe this is their first instance. Uh, we follow Ariel, who's a who's a mermaid, um, who is kind of bewildered or completely intrigued by the human world, and makes a deal with a sea witch Ursula to um, mm-hmm. to basically become human. Uh, there's a bit of a ticking time bomb to it, and um, and in doing so, she well, she wants to become human because she's already kind of met Eric, uh, the prince. Yeah, she's fascinated by the the human world and what's outside of her garden. As, yeah, you know, you know, and and she's bored of the mundane. You know, there's not a lot of substance to the reason no, why she feels this way. It's it's the classic I one story, you know. Yeah, you know, grass is greener on the other side. Um, but yeah, in 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 losing her tail and gaining her legs, she the the kind of catch twenty two is she also loses her voice and has to navigate the world without a voice. 
um, and kiss the prince before midnight in order to, uh, uh, you know, stay in her current form or or, uh, or, or become a, I, I don't know, the... It's never really understood what Ursula kind of does with um, Ariel uh, when she... Well, yeah, I mean... En- enslaves her forever or something, but I don't know. There's not really much magicness to that. It's kind of like, yeah, you're mine now. Is that oh, okay? Yeah. I mean, are, how familiar are you with the original animated 1988 version? This is this is the thing with like uh, these Disney remakes, and it's very much how I went into Beauty and the Beast. Um, some of them I watched a lot of. Some of them I only watched a few times. I've not seen The Little Mermaid in a very, very long time. To the point where I was like, I don't remember. I like vaguely remember things. Uh, but after coming out of the cinema, I was like speaking to M and I was saying like, so does Ursula do the big like kaiju thing at the end in the anime? And she was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, I can't remember that. And I was like, yeah. was, was, it, was there a bird? Was there a bird called Scuttle? She was like, yeah. I was like, I don't remember the bird. I remember the but crab. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the bird, the bird, it's a different species of bird in this though. I think in, in the animated film, it's a seagull, but. Um, yeah, Emma was yeah. saying that. Yeah, um, but I, I did think like there was a kind of Shakespearean quality to this, and you oh said God, about man, you, you loved this. You said about <laughs> the adaptation earlier, and I did think like there was there was definitely some Shakespearean quality to the kind of things going on. Um, because me and Chris are trying our hardest not to speak to each other about how we feel about these films, I have been teasing Chris with little hints that I absolutely loved the Little Mermaid, Chris. I did not love it, but I did actually quite like it. I didn't okay. hate it. I didn't hate it at all. Um, you know, and I, I think that surprised me more than anyone because I really went off on Disney remakes uh, a couple of weeks ago. That being said, um, you know, I, sometimes I come out of these things feeling that way because it is like there's a reason these stories endure the test of time. Um, but like, you know, I can't, I've come out of most Disney remakes going, that was fine, and then later down the line, I'm like, I still hate the fact that they do them. Is there a reason for this to exist? I'm not really sure. I mm. don't, I still don't think um, this is, you know, <laughs> the future of cinema or anything like that. Uh, but I was pleasantly surprised by how much I liked it. Um, it's not a perfect film by by any means, but I, I, I had fun with it. Okay. Yep. There are some positives for this film. I, again, I mentioned the performances. <laughs> so. yeah, no, I mentioned the performances. I really liked the way that you really you took a, a spotlight to mention the role of Eric, and that is something that I really like in this movie. I think that's been really, if you're really familiar, like I am, with the original film, um, which I actually, you know, I actually think the original um, 1988 version is probably one of the greatest animated films ever made, not just uh, Disney films ever made. Um, so you, you've got such a strong legacy here and you're contending with that constantly because for the most part, it does beat for beat, kind of similar to Favreau's Lion King, follow the beats and the even the the line readings of the original film. But mm. what they do here that's interesting and new because there is an extra about 45 to 50 minutes of film here. Um, yeah. Yeah, which was worrying to begin with, but it turns out that that stuff that doesn't rely on its legacy is the best stuff in the film. The stuff where Eric was had so, sort of no autonomy or a sort of real character in, in the original film. He was sort of just the 
just the the prize or you know the symbol of Ariel's longing. Here he's a fully fledged character with his own wants and his, and desires and hesitations and and he's played really really sweetly here. He was the actor's name again. Apologies, uh, Jonah Howard King. And I, I was just having a quick look at his IMDb, but he's um he's not really been in anything I've seen. Mm. So this is very much my first time seeing him. But he he did captivate me. I thought he was I thought he was very very good. Yeah, I think King and Bailey, they have really, really great chemistry on screen. I think there's a lot of uh, speculation at the moment that. Uh, oh, really? You know, yeah, it goes it goes more than just actor actress chemistry. I've been seeing a few people online speculating, um, but yeah, I mean, it, I'm maybe well, that's it comes just a, well, it comes free on the screen if that yeah, is. Yeah, I think you know. that's a testament maybe to the chemistry. Definitely. Yeah, so that stuff's really, really cool. I mean, I really like. Um, whenever there's a scene at the marketplace that I really, really appreciated where he's sort of showing her the, the town and, and, and there's just, we get a real kind of insight and a little bit of breathing space for both of these characters to really get along. We, we have the scene where Eric is showing her all this trinkets and memorabilia that he's collected uh, through the years. And, and that's really, that's a really cool scene that gets us to know him a little bit better, fleshes his, him out. It just, I, I don't know. I just think this is everything else. <laughs> everything else in this movie just really <laughs> like, like it was, I just find the whole thing. It's, it's a Rob Marshall movie. And, you know, I, 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 although I kind of appreciated some of his earlier work, I think the guy, I don't know. He, I'm allergic to some of his direction. <laughs> I think I, he can't help yeah. but make a movie look really ugly and murky for the most part. I mean, the stuff underwater, um, is just kind of, just kind of, dull and uninteresting and and i understand there's limitations and they make a really really yeah. hard job to to shoot underwater scenes and make them interesting but i they just did not work for me here i think i was always just seeing a subpar less come to life version than the animated version which is completely the opposite yeah. of what that should be you know no I, think- I i i completely agree and especially with the underwater stuff like the limitations really are glaringly yeah. obvious especially in the opening i feel like it gets better as it goes for some reason and maybe you just get used really, to it yeah maybe get used to it but some really dodgy cgi at the side there's, there's no doubt and it looks very aquaman-y um mm-hmm. but yeah. aquaman almost got away with it because aquaman itself was so silly and goofy it was so self-winking that you kind of yeah. Deny it. yeah and the sincerity of of this uh of the underwater scenes here um doesn't really work um but yes. yeah he's there's some really i think that's the thing like there's a semi-decent film under all this but mm-hmm. um some of the decisions and i know we've all been talking about it from the trailers but yeah man like the lighting in this any scene that's uh, not in pure daylight is <laughs> so difficult to see it's like it's got like this kind of murkiness to it and when you, f- when I first started watching, uh, you know, the opening scenes where it's murky underwater, I was like, oh, okay, the CGI is not great, so maybe they're trying to hide some of the seams. Mm. But then you go to the to the outside world, the the real world. Yeah, it's all the real world. I don't know. Um, and and it's still, you know, that that kind of um, it's, that, it's always that, an art- that artificial lighting there. that just doesn't. Yeah, it's like what am I what am I looking at right now? I think I would have really struggled to watch this on my home TV. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm I'm glad I didn't go begin for the IMAX 3D experience. I think that would have been a pretty hard hard slog. But I I think it's disappointing because I actually what I love about this movie at the very beginning is the opening shots of the you get these 
wild slow-mo shots of these colossal waves mm. and these beautiful formations and it's something really like mystifying about the sea and it, it kind of brings you into the movie a little bit and then mm. when it's, it's just undercut by that hard transition into you know um sea turtles kind of like circling each other and very mm. contrived movements and everything it's strange it lends itself because there's a certain silliness to the material in a way there is because it's so sincere that it you know it almost has a a, a cringy quality to it when it's in live action form where in an animation these i want songs these these really like you know, or, or the character of Ursula herself. Although I think McCarthy does a really good job here. I think it's kind of a really good nod to Pat. I think she does a really, really good job here. But yeah, I, think- I wouldn't say she made the role her own though, because it is no, a straight no. up. I mean, we almost get a little bit of a Melissa McCarthy moment whenever there's a there's a comedic exchange between her and Ariel. That's you know that yeah. that's quite, that comes out of nowhere. And, oh, okay, and that's kind of funny. But like, were we, I didn't know we were doing this. Up until yeah. now, and then we're like, not going to do it ever again. She's like almost too perfect for the part because she's they've got they've got the design down, they've got the voice mm. down, or she's got the voice down. Um, yeah, her vocals are like, really good. Yeah, it's kind of like you are just you are just the animated Ursula. Um, but, and yeah. and that, I guess that's good for some, but I feel like like you said, like Eric gets a bit more room to breathe. Ariel's. From what I remember of the animated film, she feels a little bit different here. Like there's a bit more, there's a bit more going mm. on here. Like how he brings more to the role potentially. <laughs> potentially, I so, you know you it's not, going off of my like it? vague. <laughs> it's going off of my vague feelings for the uh, the Little Mermaid animated film. But you know, like I I didn't feel like oh I remember exactly this from my youth. Whereas when I was watching. Melissa McCarthy as Ursula. I was like, oh yeah, that's that's exact. I remember that exactly. Mm-hmm. I think Javier Bardem, as much as I love him, is left out to dry a little bit here. No, oh, that's a terrible pun, not intended at all. <laughs> that um, bit, that bit where he put, you know, at the very yes. end where he's just he's just like ha- hanging out in the sea as they <laughs> row past him, and everybody's like, Whoa. he's like, oh, hello. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's Eddie. like that is so that is so funny that you mentioned that because that is the exact thing. The first thing that Lauren and I mentioned to each other on the way home was and we looked at each other in the screen when that happened and just kind of kind of burst out giggling at our, so ourselves because it, yeah, so it comes funny. out of nowhere. They're in the like towards the end of the movie. It's like I don't know. I have a couple of characters having a conversation together. I think it's Ariel and Eric, and then the camera just quick like smash cuts to. <laughs> to Triton, just hovered above the water, listening to their conversation. Uh, yeah, it's 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 hilarious. I think the ending is well, well the sincerity is a little treacly. Whenever you know, it's it's it emulates the the animated film as well. When everybody is waving the 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 two lovers away at the end, and uh, it it comes off really really. Ugh. It comes off a bit here, doesn't it? I think it it it's, yeah. it's, it's, it it was. We were giggling at the end of it, and I didn't want to do that. And I love it. Just it just in this format and the way it's shot and the way it's done, it comes across as a little bit silly. Um, it wraps up a little too fast, and maybe that's just the you know the, the you know like well the animated film did this, um, but like to to go from, you know the chemistry. The animated there, but, film is constructed but to go from him almost marrying someone else to being like, oh no, actually it's you, and I know he was under a spell. Uh, but then, like you know, you smash cut from the climatic battle to 
them getting married, them heading off, and everybody's happy and peaceful again. And I, you know, that is a fairy tale at the end of the day, but it does it wraps up a little too fast and a little mm. too neatly. Yeah, Lauren had a really good thought actually. She she said that, that you know if we do something like interesting with Little Mermaid again, if we're obsessed with this story that we keep retelling, it's very reminiscent to to her about uh, with Pinocchio. You know, and, and it would be really interesting to see somebody like Del Toro take on The Little Mermaid because its origin story is is as well very dark. You know, I think The Mermaid, it, it, the famous line in the book is that she turns into sea foam and it's a very dark mm. ending for The Mermaid. And, and it's the origins of that story, you know, the Disneyfication, it's so far removed from what it originally was. It'd be really yeah. interesting to go back to that route sometimes and ex- sometime and explore that. Yeah, I did see some people... Um, I wish I could credit them, um, but I just saw it randomly on Twitter today. Um, I don't even know if I liked it or anything like that to go back and find. But they had put to, put images of the film or clips from the film together with excerpts from the original fairy tale and kind of explaining the fact that Rob Marshall actually did go back to the roots of the book a bit more with certain elements. Um, yes. Well, he opens up with a Hans Christian Andersen yeah. quote from the book, which I feel like had no impact on his vision or direction. It kind of was just a quote <laughs> that was kind of yeah. pulled from the book. It's and interesting, put on the though. Like the clips they used, the one that stood out to me was where she first um, comes up to the surface and witnesses the fireworks and then jumps on the boat and stuff like that. Um, that, that a good that was, scene. That, yeah, I was about to say, that was one of my favourite scenes. I thought uh, well, really, well, really well. Uh, that looked good, that as well. Yeah, it looked yeah. like they were in water. And then, do you know what, they probably were because it's that surface, you yeah. know, bobbing around on the surface kind of thing. Um, yeah, that, I, yeah, I like that. I Especially like that. when Billy's in the water and she's mm. rescuing, I think she's rescuing Eric, and we yeah. see the, the fire reflections off the water in her face. It looks yeah. realistic. You know, it looks almost like a Cameron production for that brief moment. So, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll join you on some criticisms. Unless you're about to go somewhere else. Let me know. No, no. Uh, please support no my... Uh, my I'll, join, I'll join you on some <laughs> criticisms. And it's kind of the same kind of thing that, that goes with other remakes. Is obviously they, they try to adapt the animal characters, uh, but they obviously give them a realistic look and design, which just never allows them to express themselves in the same no. way the animated ones can. They don't uh, have a ca- Yeah. Yeah. The I characters did, in the voice and that's it. I did like Sebastian and, and to be fair, like the, the, he was the best effect in the film, the close-ups on him. Insane. Just, he looked like a crab. Um, you know, like you felt like you could, you could reach out and touch him. Like he did look really good. Um, but oh my god, keep Flounder away from me! That scary motherfucker! <laughs> oh, oh poor, poor Jacob Tremblay! <laughs> Scariest looking fish I've ever seen! Holy mother! Every time he popped his scary head out of the out of the water, I was like, "Get off! Yeah. Get off the screen!" Shine, his shiny fish lips. Nothing wrong with Jacob Tremblay's performance there. He's he's doing Flounder, no. right? But uh, Jesus, get Aqua- away, Aquafina. Uh, yeah, fine, fine, yeah. fine as well. I, I'm Interesting the... uh, little... Sorry, you go. I was about to say, uh, the, everybody's mo- the people who love this movie are moaning about one scene in this movie. Might have been one of my favorite scenes. 
Is it's, it the rap? Is it the, 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 the scuttle, clear, scuttle butt? Is, yeah. 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 The clearly the Lin-Manuel Miranda yeah, addition sure. to the, <laughs> to the film. Uh, yeah. That, that was fine. I, I did. I it was just a it. weird whiplash and I kind of like enjoyed it. It woke me up out of my slumber yeah, for a minute. <laughs> I didn't mind it at all. I, I was just, I was just like, uh, oh, okay. So Lin-Manuel Miranda is involved in this. And then yeah. the well, he, he, like, he writes the song for Eric as well. which I felt was that was a new song. Part. See, I didn't know that was a new song. Yeah, that song. Yeah, it didn't. I, that, I kind of was starting to lose me at that point. He, I thought that was a little bit hammy. He didn't have the voice, and I think like, it, and again, that's something to go for. Um, Halle Bailey being a musician, she has an incredible voice. Oh she's, yeah, she's like, it, uh, you know, blowing those songs out of the water. And apparently, that's one of the reasons she got the role was she she performed one of the songs and it practically reduced everybody who was in the casting room to tears. Yeah. Um, and they're really marketing His that was well. Heavily, yeah, with her like doing live performances at the Disneyland Castle, and she sounds exactly the same as she does yeah. on the soundtrack. So you know that's it's it's a good image. But yeah, you're right. I think he's a, his was he's, a bit auto tuned, and you could tell. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, I mean, I'm not saying don't like don't get rid of the guy. He put in an incredible performance. It's interesting that you can rec- you didn't recognize that it was a new song because I just feel like when you put those new Lin Manuel Miranda moments in there and you and you, you just they're chalk and cheese compared to the original yeah. um that, that and I, numbers that one i didn't recognize as a new song but the scuttlebutt one i was like this yeah. this is this is new <laughs> this is they, new. they do do like this crash zoom on the crab as he's doing like you know he's got yes. his hands like a like he's djing or something yes. <laughs> just like, oh my god it, it made like me that. chuckle actually I, I don't know if that was the intention but it did make me chuckle so yeah, I mean, I can't, again, you're you're turning you're turning me here, but no, I, I'm going to stick with my guns here. I I, I can't. I, I was mostly bored for most for the experience. I think the thing that makes it like sort of a, an enjoyable experience is the stuff that they do new that that's new in here. I think the the relationship mm. between Ariel and Eric is is good and as well fleshed out. Um, the moments that were just paying tribute to the original film, I think, were just moments for me to go and stand by because i knew i was watching a diminished version of an existing of, of something that's better I, I could watch at home on disney plus um exactly the same experience i had for lion king luckily you know for the lion king that was the whole experience and it wasn't like that here so there were things to like um but yeah yeah i just think yeah, yeah. It's, it's another it's another one of the same it's we're, we're yeah. used to this they they came i think they they, they got closer than most disney films to to having something interesting going on, um, and and I think they, like you said, they casted really well. Mm. Um, I was I was always kind of enthralled whenever Eric and Ariel were on screen. Um, you know, the big fight at the end did nothing for me. I was quite bored during that. Yes, um, there's some good. There was some good stuff. There was some poor decisions liked, on lighting and stuff, but I quite like the girl, the woman who played. Um, the well, Vanessa. He's like mm. the the young ver, you know, the the pretty version of Ursula that she kind of puts in there to to you know steal Eric away from Ariel. I think she was pretty good in the limited amount of scenes that she had, and she kind yeah. of shoot up the scenery. Yeah, um, definitely. She definitely uh, she she got her mm-hmm. her time and was just like, well, I'm going to make the most of this for sure. So, do you, do you remember when Halle Bailey is lured into Ursula's? Um, cave at the beginning well a third into the movie and then you see in the corridor there's these like kind of little creatures trying to grab her 
Not the eels. No, they were like all attached to the wall of the cave and they were all like pulling on her and she was oh. like, oh, apologize for my friends. But that's oh, okay. That's like a nod. That's a nod to the original film where you were saying that what does Ursula do with these people? Like once she does these contracts, like it seems in this movie, she just kills them. And they like just like what happens to Triton in this movie? He just like kind of fizzles and disappears. Mm. But what they do in the original movie is so much more scary with, you know, she, she actually turns... Yeah, these mermaid, these people who can't fulfill their contracts into these little weaselly creatures that she keeps in her garden of like her yeah. garden. That's the poor, unfortunate souls. And these little beings that are like perpetually living in a state of pain and, and are, you know, kind of miserable. And it's really horrible. It's quite, it's a lot more effective and dark. And I remember as a kid being really scared of that. And mm. yeah, I think they just could have made Ursula a little bit more scary here. I would have really appreciated that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, absolutely, because, yeah, I didn't have a clue with this one what the, you know, the end result was, I've maybe got your voice, but then that didn't, like, she could still yeah, speak. It was more, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, was... um, so, yeah, that does, yeah, I think you're right, they could have, they definitely could have played into that a bit more. Um, That's, I think kids are going to love it, you know, I think, I, I, I think... You know, there's loads of kids in our screening everything. I yeah. mean, they're all very well behaved. They all really seem to be enjoying it. So I think, you know, I think it's a safe bet for any parent to take yeah. their family out for the for the week. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, and uh, and everybody else who can't get over the fact that a black woman's playing Ariel, uh, bugger off. Um, yeah, I, I second that. They could yeah. have made her hair a bit more red, though. That was it. <laughs> Hair's amazing, though. Hasn't I saw made. like there, you know the scene where she whips her hair out of the water when she gains her legs. I've seen mm. online like she even had to do like gym training for her neck just so that she could do that. And I was like, well, surely it's just lifting your head out of the water, but you forget that she's got these mi- miles of dreadlocks on her that you might imagine with like absorbing the water, the weight of that. She had to do about fifteen takes of doing it, but she had a, a, a weight restraint. Where she had to do like neck ups basically in the gym so that she could do that scene. I thought it was amazing. I did think about that moment in particular, actually. And it's funny that you bring that up about training and stuff. Because I as soon as she did it in the film, I did think like you'd have to be like head tipped forward slightly yeah. as you're coming up out of the water. So that and then to like whip your hair. Yeah. Yeah, I did think that is like, yeah, there's a bit more to it than just like coming out of the water and whipping your hair. I mean, my hair's pretty long now. I'll give it a go <laughs> next time I'm in the sea. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and do the little moment. I don't think it even compares. No, I don't Not think yet, so. But I just, I just want to, I want to get an understanding as to how difficult that is. <laughs> can I, can I, can I leave on one more bugbear? This is like a really nerdy one. Go on. Under the sea. The, the the music number under the sea. It's such a big pivotal moment in the movie, and I think they just kind of messed it up. I don't know. I don't know your memory of that scene. I just think it's okay. I think oh, it like, doesn't have the 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 colorful playfulness of the animated it, because they can't go as crazy with it. It doesn't. And, and also, what they sing the lyrics in the original movie, the the lyrics are an exact wordplay on the imagery on screen. So you know when you're singing when you're singing in this movie about having a hot crustacean band, you know, well, where is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Like the standout, like from from what I remember, obviously Under the Sea is the big standout song in the animated film. For yeah. here, the big standout song is um, part of that world, and it gets reprised like a couple of times. So like mm, they, that's yeah. their their main one they fall on. It is the best um, song, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So 
So there we go. We spent a lot of time on Little Mermaid, more than I thought we would. <laughs> I think uh, now this is where the time where all the viewers who came in for Little Mermaid switch off the podcast. <laughs> no, it's it's been it's been a while. We're going to go back into the BFI. Um, yeah, we, we 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 hit a bit of a moment where obviously Celine and Julie go boating was our last one, and that was three hours. Uh, we got Satan Tango coming up now, which is seven, and yep. then the next film on the blind spot list is A Brighter Summer Day. Which is four hours. So is it four? Tra- I thought it was three and a half. No, it's four hours, and uh, <laughs> it actually might be four hours and twenty minutes. So. <laughs> okay, depending uh, on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't want to give away anything with that one, but it's worth it. Uh- <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, it kind of gives it away. <laughs> okay, um, well, I'm intrigued. Yeah, sorry. All right, I'll take it. I'll take it away. Uh, yeah, so. You know, trying to fit these very long films in has been more difficult. So that's why it's not been every week at the moment. I think uh, when you when you sign up for the list, you're like, "Oh, this is going to be I'm going to be chugging these out like nothing," and then you yeah. and you don't realize till you look into the list that a good portion of these movies are epics, to say the least. Yeah, we do have a short film coming up, um, and uh, but yeah, then later on, I think this is what this is the second longest film. It's seven hours. It's the second longest film in the. In the list, with the with the longest one being, um, I'm going to say it's pronounced Shoah, the nine hour documentary on the Holocaust. So okay, that's a, that's a barrel of laughs for another day. Um, <laughs> it's it's going to be, uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. I don't mean that in a in a in a weird way. <laughs> keep going. I'm just going to like say nothing and just let you like, keep talking. Just As in, like, it this. obviously wouldn't be a barrel laughs. Okay, I'm not, I'm not explaining the joke. I'm not explaining the joke. It's, it's a, no, it's okay. I think everybody knew you were sarcastic the first time. I think okay, you just good. damned yourself forever by like oh, going down yeah. that rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah, this is going to get clipped in a certain out of context way soon. Mm, might um, not get clipped. Oh, <laughs> one listener's going to clip it. Uh, <laughs> Mom, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, so let's, let's get back on track to Satan Tango, uh, seven-hour Hungarian film. Yeah, I'm um, going to let you try to like summarize this movie. I'm going to leave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> seven seven hours of kind of uh, poverty, mud, farming, rain, a lot hopeless of rain. souls, lots of rain, wind, um, just yeah hopelessness and mm. despair and i think i think it's worth and i don't think we're selling it because i don't think it's particularly a bad film um anyway so i just quickly summarize it as best i can because it, to be honest like even though it's a seven hour film it's not like seven hours worth of stuff of plot happens no. well it's um, actually you know in terms i think for the whole entire film no, this tells you the pace of the movie straight away. That even though it's seven hours, I think seven hours and twenty-one minutes, it's mm. it's got about one hundred and forty-seven shots for the whole yeah. movie. <laughs> so that tells yes. that tells you the the pace of this thing. Yeah, but I, hmm. all right, just briefly, Satan Tango. Let's. I, I'll just I'll just summarize. I'll summarize the plot. I'm just trying to find one which kind of summarize it well. 
Uh, it's about a small village in Hungary uh, who deal with the effects of the fall of communism. Um, and basically, they... I don't even know how to explain it. They're selling their cattle. They're all going to have this money. They're worried one of them's going to run off with all the money. But at the same time, there is a villager who they didn't really, who the village thought was dead, who's who's not dead, and he's coming back. He's returned. Im Irimas Irimas Irimas. I thought it was Irimias. Irimias, that's it. You've watched it a little bit more recently than I have. Um, and he's like this very, um, well, compared to the rest uh, of them, he's charismatic. Yeah. Compared to the rest of them, this very charismatic <laughs> kind of, uh, guy who's, who's a bit of a, bit of a schemer and, uh, tries to persuade the villagers to, to form a new commune with him for, for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's, that's, that's the film. They kind of split off on their different ways at the end. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, it's, it's 140, 150 shots across the whole thing. Uh, so we're talking about very long shots here. Um, that being said, thank God the shots aren't just still shots. You know, Bellatar, the director, um, he does move the camera here. Uh, so some of those shots are very interesting. So it uh, yeah. does mean that even though it's a slow film, things are still in motion and it captures you and it, it keeps you going. Um, how how did you watch the seven hour film? Because I definitely didn't watch it in one. Okay. I watched two hours of it of an evening, and then I watched the entire rest of the thing the afternoon, the early late morning, afternoon after. So I did the second time I watched it, I did a f- straight five hours of watching. Oof, it. yeah, bloody hell! I think I did three and a half on the first go, and then on the second day I did a three hour session, and then definitely better to watch during an afternoon. I think. I think maybe the final hour. So it might have been three, three, one, mm-hmm. um, but did watch it over the course of two days, which okay. I was happy with because pretty I, similar then. I didn't want to. I didn't want to, you know, cut it up too much. Um, but it is definitely a film that's very difficult to fit into a day. We're both full time workers here. Uh, I, so. I think basically how the human brain works. You cannot concentrate on something devotely for seven and a half hours <laughs> no matter no. what it is your no. mind is one so whenever i was watching it yeah i i, I took break i took coffee breaks i i, I came back I, I read something i i can recontextualized myself with what happened the hour or two before and then maybe returned it so within this session so you know i think even though it's a seven hour movie it's a kind of a 10 hour movie because the extra kind of you know contextualizing that you're doing around the movie I don't know that experience was similar to you, or if you just straight up watched it. Uh, yeah, if, yeah, I def. I mean, you definitely had time to think about it in the gaps. Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, well, I think the movie does that itself. I think the whole point of the lingering shots and um, the time spent that Tar puts into every sort of frame in this film is to give you those moments of breathing space to think about what's going on. Yes, and from the research I've done the book is very heavily descriptive and it's a lot more kind of i th- i'm not sure if it's a hundred percent pov it's very experimental text apparently but there's a lot more kind of what's going on in these guys heads um and it's almost as if the film allows you uh, like allows you to come up with that because when you you are swept over with these long shots where you're just kind of like lingering on a character or watching them travel or seeing them just live in their space um, 
you kind of like start to think like, what what, what might they be yeah. thinking and, and, and how are they feeling and stuff like that. Uh, but it also really like encompasses you into that kind of like misery. Yeah. In like it, it sweeps you over. You feel like you're in the place. It's yeah. desolate. No, no, you do. Muddy you do. and just grim most of the time. <laughs> Sorry, Hungary, but <laughs> I think grim, the idea is that that's it's the idea. To be grim. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we want to talk. I think this movie, whatever you're trying to clean from this movie, I think there. You don't try to be too literal with a film like this that that is so thoughtful that Tar is putting on here. I, everything here is laced with metaphor, metaphor or or themes, and I think the big a big thing that I kind of took out of this um, film was complacency, um, the secular nature of life and how we how we choose to kind of not move on and and how we how then somebody charismatic comes along and completely it's it's like the opening shot of the film is we get this 10 minute sort of shot of, of, uh, of a herd of cows. And like he said, like he mentioned to me when we were talking about the movie privately, um, that it felt like uh, Bellatar must've kind of his lucky stars whenever he saw, you know, what was actually happening on the field. It, there's a couple of bulls mounting some of the, <laughs> some of the, some of the cowl. Kind of sums up the movie, doesn't it? Kind of in terms of, the Aramaeus relationship with the rest of the the villagers and the workers, um, mm. you know, it's it, it's interesting if that was an original intention in the story or yeah. if he framed that afterwards. But yeah, it, it's a great shot to establish just the location as well, because again, because the camera moves, mm. uh, moves, moves yeah. <laughs> oh god, this is a terrible joke day today. Uh, <laughs> moves through the kind of village with the cows and you just see this barren landscape and you know yeah houses that uh just Re- yeah derelict derelict yeah. and unlived in yeah so. that's the thing you really get you really get the texture of this place you know even like sometimes the camera just like even focuses in on a, on a wooden frame of a window and you see it's all splintered and it's rotten and there's a character peering out of it and and all they've got in their in their room is a is a small mirror that's like two by two, and it's and it's got a bottle of vodka in the corner, and life's not looking pretty great. You know, they have no there's no running water wherever they live, even though that they're mm. surrounded always constantly by water. Um, they, they they're you know they're wiping their asses with with dishes on the floor, and you know it, it's it, it, it is a pretty miserable existence. I thought the, so. It kind of breaks it up into was it twelve chapters? This story. Yeah, something like that. Let me have a look. All kind of set within the period of a few weeks. Um, most of the story, you know, um, until later on in the, the last couple of hours, is actually only set in the first, like, in one or two days, right? Yes, it's 12. Yeah, and I, even, like, the first half, because I think the idea is that it is actually supposed to mimic a tango, like, two steps forward, one step back, something like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't remember the exact... Um, Six step, uh, I think it's, yeah, 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 it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah I, but exactly. a lot of the start is is almost different perspectives on the same scene. Yes. Um, and it's not until we have the death of a child, which happens about midway through the film, it kind of pivots and kicks off the second half of the film, which is maybe a little bit um, more the flavor changes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and more less less uh, obsessed with a specific period of time. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think of a way. I, I, I you know we can really sit here and we can describe what we saw. 
But I'm really trying to really like paint the picture for anyone listening who might not be familiar with the film at all. And it it, it, it is fascinating. I, I I think it really is a film, if you're really politically interested in, in Eastern European and how it responded to the fallout of the Cold War and how attitudes or, or just how a people of, of a certain culture would have lived in the outskirts of, of a country you know, outside of its uh, the political city centers, and you know, how mm. are those people affected? You know, how would those people behave, and how how were their lives would have looked? I think this movie would would really interest you. I think, um, you know, I think that's what Bellator really has in his mind. I think he's somebody who's really wrestling with his his his, his country, really. Um, mm. Somebody who love kind of loves his country but hates it at the same time. There's a really like. There's a false happiness and there's a misery in here. I think the big scene for me, if anything I took out of this film, was halfway through the film, um, just before the girl that we mentioned in question um, um, is is killed. We can get into that as well. There is a there's a dance scene in the local pub. The pub itself is like you know you can't even call it a pub. It, it's 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 a couple of bar stools and it's a, a table at the end with a couple of bottles of drink behind the bar. It's it's mm. it's you know it's it's terrible. <laughs> it's it's just terrible. And um, what I found really really interesting was it turns into this dance sequence. And there's an accordion player in the corner, and he's playing this repetitive tune over yeah, and over. A very, and very over drunken again. dance sequence. <laughs> oh yeah, it's 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 um, you know, it's very interesting. It kind of reminded me whenever I was in school and we were studying, you know, um, the build up to Nazi Germany in in, in RIA levels. I remember seeing paintings of um what the Weimar Republic looked like, you know, before the Nazis, Nazis came into power and how there was this sort of real like poverty, but everybody was forcing themselves to like live a bourgeoisie lifestyle. Everybody was trying to like, you know, kind of put it on with a smile, but really struggling to do it at the same time. And that's exactly what that dancing kind of reminded me of. It reminded me of those old paintings I had seen from school where people are bashing into each other. They're, 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 there's loads of disdain and venom, but there's, there's, I got, I got an effort to try to emulate happiness at the same time. Even mm. the song itself is like, it's trying to sound like a happy song, but it sounds nightmarish when it's looped mm. over and over and over again. And Tar pulls no punches. Like it, this thing goes on for 10, 10 exact minutes. And, and you're watching the, the dexterity and the endurance of the actors, you know, on screen. And it's, it's kind of funny at the beginning. And then it just turns into ho- a pure horror movie. You know, I, I found that that moment was really like I kind of that's where the movie kind of made sense for me. I think you've summed that up really, really well. Um, yes, yeah, it is an interesting scene, and it is kind of um, that chaos, um, and it and and that and it is a crescendo towards this this turning point because that's where we have the girl kind of like there's that scene is shown a few times with the, the young girl peering through the window. Um, and and you know it's not until the morning after where they find out she's dead, and obviously the guilt and the the kind of grief that comes with that that, that changes the course and allows um, I can't remember the name of the guy again, Eremias. Eremias, that's yeah. it. I'll okay. cut it. <laughs> it's right. all right. You can show my ignorance if you want. Uh, <laughs> I forgot to Eremias. Uh, that he really. That's where he gets to play on those. Um, feelings yeah with, a, with like a, almost like a 10 minute monologue probably is a 10 minute monologue oh, by the, 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 the scenes 
Lent. He's very much like he's like a like a false Jesus figure here, isn't he? Yeah, he's got the beard and everything. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, even on a physical level, but like he he does look a bit like Jesus <laughs> or I mean, our conception knows, of Jesus. He, but he knows how to to swindle them. But it's interesting because we're we're introduced to him through a through a, a, a scene where he's he's just being berated by like a police officer who's just calling essentially just calling him a loser. And so you have that idea of him as well, but you also, but then you get to watch him just kind of like mm-hmm. use his, because uh, he is a loser, really. You get to see how he kind of wins over these kind of very um, desperate people. And the whole thing is, it, my interpretation was that it was the the sort of military police that were making him um, an informant on the village. Yes. yes. Okay. So it's kind of like kind of like showing the paranoia of the time period where where the government wanted to know the ongoings of all the people that lived within the state. Um, yeah. That's kind of like what his job is, and he's sort of the rat on these people. Um, yeah. Okay, that, yeah. That, uh, just making sure I kind of got that right, because there's a lot of movie to deal with here. And that, there that, is. And that was the only kind of scene in the movie that kind of like brushed its intentions off quite quickly. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will say this, though. For, for seven hours, it's not boring film like and i know it's got lots of shots of just people walking at times but i was quite surprised by like the, it, ha- it has a plot yeah, <laughs> i was yeah. worried i thought it would be more experimental than that but it has it has a plot the it dedication of all the actors is, is incredible it has drive I don't think it warrants the length at all. And I do, you know, I, maybe this is an argument to get into later as, as we, as we kind of summarize the film, but I do wonder if like the, the kind of this film's heralded as, as, as this amazing thing is maybe due to the ambition and its length rather than what's actually there maybe. Um, but I, let's get into a few other things before yeah. we summarize the film. Um, is it, is it worth talking about the, infamous cat scene because oh. um, this is this is the film that like there's um there's two moments that nearly brought me out for different reasons number one was uh number one was the doctor uh segment i think it was like section three i think it was maybe the third hour okay the second and third hour found that really boring okay was not into that that was the only part of the film where i was kind of bored um, and then we move into the um, into the child scene, which I think is, is or scenes is a really interesting segment of the film. It is really interesting, but it's a really difficult watch because she tortures and kills a cat, her mm. own cat. Um, after yeah. well, I, I guess you know the idea is is that she's quite heavily bullied and she's like one of three or four children in this village. They have no one else to go to, and everybody just kind of hates her and berates yes. her all the time. And, and she wants to move on to a life that is much better than the life that she's living on this hell on earth. So it kind of yeah, sum- it's kind of a summary of the themes of the story, really. Yeah, she's she's incredibly bored and goes on this power trip, and yeah, it's, and it's a really difficult scene to watch because it looks very real. And from all reports, everything was above board. There was a vet here; the cat was sedated. It was. There was it was taught how to play with the child through repetition, so they could have these kind of weird fight scenes. Um, but that doesn't make it any less uncomfortable. And if you didn't know that, you'd be like, "Am I watching a cat being tortured to death right now?" Wow. Um, and even knowing that, there's an element of like, 
I mean, I sure. still don't feel very comfortable with this because the cat is, I think, clearly distressed at points. And obviously, you know, you shouldn't maybe sedate a cat for these reasons. You know, I, I think, yeah, it's worth talking. I don't want to spend too much time on it. I think the same as you. I It temporarily took me out of the film. Um, yeah, I, I read the interview with Tar that he made in 2001 about what actually happened in that scene and his protestation that, oh, I would never harm a cat. I've got two cats at home. Um, we had a vet on board and, we, and the girl spent a couple of nights in the hotel roughhousing with the cat and learned teaching how to roll. That is baloney to me you know that, <laughs> that that i'm sorry but like you're you not can't, buying it yeah i'm not buying that i it, it, it can't, that, that cat is an unwilling participant no matter what way you put it i will i, I you know i will say for the fact that what you see on screen is a is a murder i it's it's it's, I think it's categorically not from what the claims are. I think it is just there was a vet on site and he did he or she did sedate the the cat. But everything you see up until that point, you know, there's ten minutes of roughhousing with dust going off everywhere and and real and and she for, forces the cat's head to drink the the rat poison. I mean, like yeah. really grabbing it by its neck and forcing its head down. It clearly doesn't want to do it. And it and it she hangs it by the rafters and the in a mesh bag. I mean, come on. I mean, I just think yeah. people are really like rationalizing their own morals here, just so that they can enjoy a film and it's an, enjoy an auteur's piece of work. That stuff, I, that stuff, I just can't really get on board with. Um, it's, it's it's a shame because I think everything else surrounding the movie is really really impactful, and, and there's some really good. I think it's is a movie of moments. I think there is moments in this movie that I was bored. I'm sorry. It just oh, is yeah. the nature of the length. Yeah. Um, but there are moments where I was zoned in, and I was really brought in by the performance and the dedication to the takes and the lengths. And you know, but it's just a shame. I think the scene was not required to tell the story of this this girl and her downfall uh, it, it, you know just uh, to, to me that a director would even conjure up a scene like this is a little bit troubling to me um well but- you've got to remember is based on a book so i and and it is quite a pivotal moment in the film okay i'm not saying um i'm not trying to justify the actions i think there there are ways to do it even in 1994 there are ways to you know show this or not show this um that doesn't actually use a real animal so i'm not you know i'm not advocating that like the scene in in its full glory should be there um but i don't know about taking away the whole thing because i i I think you know i don't think it's play for laughs like you are supposed to be distressed if we were able to do it in a way that maybe made uh, a bit more suggestive, yeah. a bit more suggestive, and you could still get the horror out of that. It's still a cat, like we're still attached to animals um, as humans. Like you could still find ways to do that. But yeah, I'm not sure I'd take it out completely. Um, just maybe change the way I film it. Yeah, or it's just how long it lingers. I think it just gets a little bit. You become a bit of an unwilling participant yourself there. And I think yeah. I, I just I kind of worry for the girl in that scene herself. Like kind of what that must be like later on contending. You know, she kind of just does it because she's 12 years old and is an actor. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into this, but what I saw on screen, you know, kind it's of. It's not looked, nice. It's not. It's not nice. But yeah, I, but I, I'm not. I'm not free from this too. You know, I, I can't have a moral high ground suddenly on animal cruelty in, in film because I enjoy the western, the wild west genre, and I know that is riddled with his, the history of of um, 
inhumane treatment of horses and how that's you know the, the legacy behind that and we have our own little you know we have to kind of contend with what we can enjoy and what mm-hmm. and why we're enjoying it and is that worth the the pain of others but i think that's kind of art in general <laughs> and that's something that we'll be wrestling with forever um i think the rest of the film surrounding this is very fascinating i think tar has a really clear vision i think it does it's not as confusing as i was worried it was going to be um i did get what, what was going on i did find moments really really powerful i mentioned the dancing and uh you know i i think i'll be you know in a year's time that that scene will be popping up in my head sporadically mm. you know there's just something about it um but yeah it's a one and done for me i'm glad i saw it yeah um but and interesting tar really wants she he exclaims that he wants everybody to go see it and in one go that you should yeah. see in a theater without a break. Um, I, I don't know. If I, could I think you've come that. out of the cinema feeling like one of the villagers. Uh, just like, yeah. just downtrodden yeah. uh, and just depressed. Um, you should do a secret cinema experience um, yeah. in, in Hungary <laughs> where that, you come out and it's exactly the same. That being said, uh, the showings that have happened, and I think there was one in uh, Dublin just after we left, yeah, um, from a holiday, like they have two 15 minute breaks. That's it. Two 15 minute breaks. I feel like you still need more than that. I like the way I watched it. I think uh, across two days, I was able to let elements of it kind of like settle in my brain and have a think about it because, you know, there's obviously a language barrier there. There are subtitles, but you know, like it, you and you're picking up on history and culture and all kinds of things. So it, it takes a moment to, to take it all in. Um, I'm glad I did it. And it, Considering the length and the pace, um, I, I, it wasn't my least favorite film that we've watched out of this series. In, in fact, I, I, I enjoyed it more than quite a few that we've seen. Um, yeah. I think they just had a bit more going for it at times. Um, but yeah, I, I do think like, would I be applauding this film if it was just like two hours, two and a half hours? Um, is 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 the is is the kind of the accolades that it's and the kind of reputation it's achieved. Has it come from the ambition of being a ridiculously long film mm-hmm. and being able to let those moments sit. If all those moments were still in the film in a two hour setting and woven mm. together, would it have been, would it have been as effective? I probably argue not. Um, mm. So it, it is, it is an interesting film. And I think, Tar does a really good job, at least, of letting you know early on in the film what you're going to be putting yourself in in for, and he teaches you how to watch his movie in a way. Um, mm. It's funny, uh, funny that you didn't like the um, the doctor chapter because that actually was my favorite chapter. Um, oh, of course. <laughs> no, I know not to be a contrarian. I just kind of really like zoned in on that performance. I think that was a really great performance by that actor, um, and some really great shots of. I, I thought I had a really good. It was a really good comment on the human body and how that relates to the the the, the position of the country and how it's kind of in its drunken state. I kind of like mm. that. And f- f- watching this odyssey of this man who never leaves his house go out uh, to try to desperately try to buy a bottle of um, fruit brandy was quite. I thought yeah. it was quite interesting. And he's our narrator as well, isn't he? Like he is the mm. guy who documents all of this at the end of the day I was so- and stays I- within the village. I was so surprised because this movie came out in the early 90s and I was like, that guy is on death's door. He does not look well. He didn't, the actor didn't die till 2017. 
I was really surprised to read it. There you go. Maybe it was makeup, Chris. Maybe, you could, know, have, could have been. He, he did wear a big heavy coat. Yeah. Yeah. Has this made you want to go out and watch Bellatar's other films, which are also apparently Maturing quite long? Somewhere and, uh, and, and he's very notorious for these very uh, long takes. I can't say I'm going to, uh, even though I like this film, can't say I'm going to go out of my way to watch his other films if they if they pop up at some point then then sure i'll be like ah the guy who did but you're Satan not gonna Tango. go out of your way to make yourself purposely miserable yeah <laughs> but i must say you have to watch this anything that isn't seven hours i'm like yeah i could i could watch that <laughs> i know right i'm like you're telling me next film's brighter summer day for our <laughs> it's a doddle <laughs> it do you know what? and and yeah it is it is and it's good yeah Okay, right. Say no. Say no more. Say no I'm more. Trying not so, to. I just. I want you to watch it because um because it's Edward Yang, who um who we we both watched Yee Yee, and I think I don't think I didn't I wasn't as keen on Yee Yee. As I you liked were. it a lot. Um, but I I almost wish I'd would I have liked Yee, Yee more if I'd watched this one first. I don't know. It is a very different film, and I think that's what I was surprised by. Um, but yeah. Anyway, that's for that's for a future episode. That's for that's for another day. Um, so what, what what are we saying? What's the best movie of this week <laughs> that we that we watched? <laughs> I'm just interested. <laughs> I, what would you would you recommend listeners to catch up with more? Okay, well, I think Satan Tango is a better film than The Little Mermaid. Uh, but in terms of recommendations, uh, you know, <laughs> it's difficult to recommend either. Really. Um, Right. If if you've got kids, uh, go watch Little Mermaid. It's, it's great fun. And, I think you don't uh, need to be recommended Little Mermaid. You're ever going to go see it. Or you're not right. You already yeah, know, definitely, you, definitely. You've already made your mind up. Like it's fun. It's 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 a good it's, it's a good little thing. Um, if you are a connoisseur of of film, uh, you know if if and you want to tick off uh, what is like a bit of a a legendary long film in the in the canon, then yeah. um. Then it's worth checking out. It's 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 seven hours, but it's not it's not seven boring hours. It's it like, like the fifteenth longest film of all time, or something like something that. Like that. It's, yeah. yeah, it's like it's five really interesting hours and two boring hours. I, I think you know, I think that's the way to go. Di- and if yeah. if that was any other film that that had that amount of boringness to it, that actually know, is then, not bad. It's not that bad. It's not a bad think, ratio. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not a bad ratio. Um, but yeah, I mean the length is giving it probably more credit than it's due. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very good film. It's, it's, yeah. it's very good. I don't, and I, I did don't... feel bad that like we have blistering, beautiful sunshine out here at the minute. And I had to like give up a beautiful Saturday, yeah. like reading a book in the garden or like, you know, just so I could watch a movie about modern rain. Yeah. <laughs> no, so, over, so over far, <laughs> if BFI came to us in uh, 2032, and said, uh, Alex, Chris, famous podcasters from the film angle, can you give sure, us your, your top 10 films uh, for this year's Science Sound or this decade Science Sound? Um, I don't think I'd put it on there. What, you put The Little Mermaid instead? No, 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 no. <laughs> I don't think I'd put Saint Tango on there. It wouldn't be no. part of my top 10, but I'm glad I saw it. No, I think, I think behind tropical malady it's probably the film i enjoyed the least so far yeah oh no no i wouldn't go that far but yeah i i dislike tropical malady more and that's what, that's what i mean i think oh, okay. tropical malady was my least favorite but 
think it's. I Celine and Julie felt longer in this <sighs> film to me personally. And that's the weird thing because you're 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 the French New Wave guy out of the two I of us, and I liked it more. We're revealing so many new things about ourselves. We're learning about ourselves. We're learning about each other through this oh, series. Oh, shut up. It's great. And <laughs> Shove we, it up your ass. <laughs> and uh, everybody should keep listening. Uh, this is this is turning out to be a long episode uh, where we only talk about two films. So we'll wrap it up there, I think. Um, I think it's been a good conversation, Chris. I'm, I'm, I'm glad we finally got around to it. Me too, me too. And uh, hopefully we'll be back next week to discuss Brighter Summer Day and spider-man across the spider-verse i know i'm glad i got it right that time because it's, it's so easy to go back to the first movie's yeah, title that's so yeah. similar um and it's, it's like, like the part whole... one of two isn't it like it's, yes it's, it's... i'm hearing that the movie does leave you on the cliffhanger but, yeah. oh, I'm looking for, but i'm hearing great things so far amazing amazing things yeah. so i'm gonna yeah. catch up with uh into the spider-verse as well um, yeah i think it's worth before i see it because i love that film uh so that gives you a little uh you know we go we're heading that way um, next week uh, rate us review us where you can it helps us out um, immensely leave us five stars on Spotify and Apple and all those kind of places share with your friends share with your mum and um, share with your mum share with your mum <laughs> specifically your mum <laughs> and uh, share with your Hungarian communist friends yeah uh, there's a Hungarian guy in my classroom in secondary school I mean I might I might forward it just say nothing. Just a blank text. Just forward him the link. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like us on uh, the TikToks and the Instagram, and uh, we'll see you next week. This has been the Film Angle. My name is Chris. And I'm Alex. See you later. <laughs>